Hello, it's Exodus chapter 7. Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I have you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not listen to you, and I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my armies, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so, as Yahweh commanded them, so they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Perform a miracle, then you shall tell Aaron, Take your rod and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it become a serpent. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, as Yahweh had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his, his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers. They also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same thing with their enchantments. For they each cast down their rods, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he didn't listen to them, as Yahweh had spoken. Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Behold, he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod, which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. You shall tell him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, until now you haven't listened. Yahweh says, In this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike with the rod that is in my hand on the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. The fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall become foul, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink water from the river. Yahweh said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, over their streams and over their pools and over all their ponds of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did so as Yahweh commanded. And he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, and the river became foul, and the Egyptians couldn't drink water from the river, and the blood was throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians of Egypt did the same thing with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he didn't listen to them as Yahweh had spoken. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he didn't even take it to heart. All the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink, 
for they couldn't drink the river water. Seven days were fulfilled after Yahweh had struck the river. This is the beginning of the ten plagues. It's one of the most interesting um, and supernatural parts of the whole Bible. It starts out by God telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh, and then he tell, tells him he's not going to listen to you. <laughs> Talk about a job, asking someone to say something, but then tell them that it's going to be pointless. They're not going to listen. And, um, but of course, there's a purpose to that. And um, that's because Pharaoh's heart's going to become hard and God's going to get to show how awesome he is. And, um, but how does God know that Pharaoh won't listen? Some Christians think that God is so sovereign that he's in control of everything, every minute thing, everybody's decision, and they think that God deliberately determined that Pharaoh would harden his heart and, you know, that this is all part of the discussion of God's sovereignty. And I've just got to say about this that there's a few reasons why God knows, and it isn't that he's making Pharaoh harden his heart. The first is that God is eternal. So he, he is the I am, the self-existing one, and he's outside of time. He created time. He's not controlled by time. And so it's for God, it's like looking at a comic strip. He sees the beginning, the middle, and the end all instantly. So even though we who are in the comic strip, you know, we're in time, we haven't got to the end yet. We're in the process uh, but God sees it all. He's eternal. And so characters in the strip can still make their own choices. It's just that God sees what they're going to do. But as well as God being eternal, he is omnitemporal. <laughs> That's a complicated word. And it just means he's also in every moment of time. So as well as being outside of time looking at it, he's in every moment of time. So in the same way that before the world was created, he existed. In other words, there was no place for him to exist, but he existed. Um, well, before time, there was no time for him to exist, but now he exists in time as well. He's in every moment of time. So he's in the moment that Pharaoh is choosing, but he's also in the moment after Pharaoh has chosen already. So that's God being omnitemporal. But as well as that, God's omniscient, and that's he knows everything. So he knows Pharaoh so well he knows the character of his heart, the way he thinks. He knows how he's going to decide. So we, we have this a little bit with our own children. We know sometimes what they're going to do. And uh, you can offer them food and you know a certain child will like it and a certain, certain child won't like it. And that all comes from our experiences with them. But God, um, even though he's had experiences with everyone, he knows people so well, he knows what they're going to choose even before they've chosen it. So God, courtesy of the fact that he's eternal and omnitemporal and omniscient, he knows what's going to happen. And um, he's not making Pharaoh, uh, you know, he's not forcing Pharaoh into a decision. He's just not, he's just aware of what the decision is. And that's why God is able to operate in the world so perfectly and bring his plans about because he knows what decisions are going to be made by what people in advance. Some people think that we're controlled by God, but no, we're not controlled by God. God's just way smarter. So he knows how to work with what our choices are going to be. And uh, God is, in the end, a God of love. 
and love is not controlling. And so that's the simple answer to the question is whether we have a choice or not, we do, because God's a God of love. So in, the, in this uh, first encounter, um, Moses you know, throws down his uh, rod, turns into a snake. The other guys, the enchanters of Egypt, throw down their, their rods, they become snakes. And um, then, of course, Aaron's rod or Moses' rod eats their snakes and they're gone. But the interesting thing here is that there's magicians in the land and they're doing enchantments as well. You know, people have enough struggles with the story as it is with God doing the enchantments, but now we've got people, magicians, doing enchantments. And this is where some people just struggle a bit with the, the especially with these first five books of the Bible, with some of the things that are in here just seem too made up. Now, they're not made up. If it wasn't for something supernatural, nothing could exist. Because according to the laws of nature and the laws of physics, matter cannot be created or destroyed. Like there are certain laws in place which they themselves prove that nothing could have come into existence without something that's outside of those laws. In other words, something supernatural. So unless there was something supernatural, nothing natural would even exist. And there are, we wouldn't have a, a, a Bible if we didn't, you know, we wouldn't have a faith if we didn't have a Jesus that was virgin born and rose from the dead, a creation. There are supernatural things do happen and God steps in to make them happen. But people struggle to believe it. And particularly in our Western world. And here we've got this example of, you could say, the devil doing something back in return. You know, the Egyptian magicians uh, are doing these same things and Pharaoh hardens his heart. And it's an example of the devil's work. And um, some people don't think the devil's even real. You know, they look around our Western culture and they think it's, it's everything is proved by science only. <laughs> Nothing supernatural could ever happen. And um, there's a very, very interesting um, book called In Sorcery's Shadow by Paul Stoller. And he's an anthropologist. And he was a Westerner from America. And um, as a young man, he didn't want to go to, I think it was Vietnam. So he went and joined the Peace Corps and escaped and went to Africa. Fell in love with one of the tribes there. And he went, went home, studied to be an anthropologist and went back to work with them. And as part of his experience, he became an apprentice sorcerer. And of course, he just thought that um, he was, uh, you know, researching uh, the way a group of people thought. He didn't actually believe that the sorcery would work. But in the process of his experiences, he saw things with, which shook his worldview to the core. He saw thing, demonic things. He saw, you know, like even he himself participated in a ritual once with chicken's blood and various things and put the curse on someone and he thought it was just all made up. But the next thing, this particular lady got so sick, she had to leave Niger and go home. And he was shaken. He, he didn't expect anything like that to actually to work. So we in the West, you know, we've got this so, so scientific view. But if you go to Africa or you go to parts of Asia, they do see the supernatural. They see the demons. They see cursing. They, they see strange things, witchcraft, things just like what were mentioned here with these Egyptian magicians. And so the devil, he's, he's sneaky. In, um, in Western countries, he's, um, he has a covert operation. He hides what he's doing and he works secretly. But in other places, he has more of an overt. You know, he's in the open and he scares people. And he tries to control people through fear 
in those other places, but in the West, he tries to work in people's life secretly, and, and you know, he lies to them, and he, he deceives them, and they don't even know that they are his victim. And um, so these are interesting things, but you can see why some people struggle with these parts of the Bible. For us as Christians, we, we have to come to the place where we recognize that without the supernatural, there would be nothing at all. There would be no world that would even exist in the first place, and there would be no spiritual life and no spiritual faith without the resurrection of Jesus. There are plenty of places in, in the Bible and times where the Lord has to step in and do something that's just beyond the natural. And this is a chapter where the plagues start. God is definitely doing supernatural things in this book of Exodus. So um, I just want to make a final comment about this first plague and all the ones that are to follow. There's so many um, things that seem really nasty and seem really mean. And um, the first, first thing that some people have said is, you know, why would God punish an entire country for the sins of one person, you know, the Pharaoh? Why would God punish a whole country because Pharaoh had a hard heart? It seems unfair when you say it like that. But we have to remember, if you go back to Exodus chapter 1, that Pharaoh was trying to kill the boys, the Hebrew boys. The midwives wouldn't obey. So Pharaoh commanded everyone in the land of Egypt to throw the boys into the Nile. So we've got a situation where an entire country is now participating in the killing of little boys. So we've got, it isn't actually just the sins of one person. It's now become the sins of an entire nation. So it isn't just the individual sin of Pharaoh, it's actually collective punishment. And But even then, it still sounds a bit tough. But as a result of these plagues, as we go on, you're going to see more and more what happened, was that people started to realize that God was the real God. Up until this point, the Egyptians had worshipped so many of their own gods, but they started to realize that their own gods were powerless and that Yahweh was the powerful almighty one, and many of them changed and started following him. So what seemed like judgment turned out to be a great mercy. And um, if something in our life you know, shocks us or gets our attention, and as a result we turn from, from following other things and we turn to following the Lord, that's our salvation right there. We are saved in eternity. And so what can seem like a tough thing on the surface can turn to be a great mercy. So I think we need to look at the plagues, you know, as there's more going on than just God getting cranky with Pharaoh and punishing everybody. No, the Lord was merciful, demonstrating who he was, his great love. And as a result, a lot of Egyptians actually got saved and left Egypt. And uh, we'll talk about that in another chapter. So it's the same in our own lives. Sometimes we have difficulties and we can complain about them, but sometimes those difficulties and quite often those difficulties are the mercy of God towards us. They keep us in his hand and they keep us in his heart. They keep our eyes focused on him. You know, we, we have to press into prayer to find him or they turn us back to him. The Lord knows how to deal with us and sometimes we need those difficulties to bring us back to him. So Lord, I want to thank you for Exodus chapter 7, the beginning of the plagues. And I thank you that even here, there are lessons for us. I thank you that you allow difficulties into our life. Sometimes it is a punishment, but Lord, it's always your mercy. And we want to thank you for your mercies. We thank you for the, the, the 
the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases and your, your faithfulness is new every day. We're going to thank you, Lord, for, for these stories in the Exodus that are still teaching us many thousands of years later. Amen. Thank you.